Hey, this is Tommy Phillips, pastor of Watermark. Uh, first off, thank you all for listening. I know a lot of you are out there, uh, not in Tampa, and you are listening from afar, wherever you are in our country or in the world. I want to thank you for listening, first off. And second, I wanted to offer you guys an opportunity to give as well. Um, people reach out to us and are asking how they can help. Um, this is a simple way. Um, we're a, a relatively young church, and we are self-sustained, and things get rather expensive. So if you, uh, if you are interested in helping us out by giving, our website is watermarktampa.com slash give. You can go there to give, or you can just text the word give to 904-474-8062. Thank you very much. Grace and peace. Good morning, Watermark. Morning. Uh, this scripture is from the New Living Translation, James 1, 1 through 4. This letter is from James, a slave of God and, the Lord, and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. All right. Good morning, everyone. Uh, That might have been worse than the first service. And that was pretty bad. Hey, there we go. Listen, I know, I get it. Listen, we're all missing the World Cup right now. I'm upset about it. I don't want to be here either, okay? (laughs) I'm just, (laughs) I'm kidding. I've got the World Cup on my phone right now. I'm really not going to pay attention to what I'm saying for the next half hour because I'm ready to watch Croatia beat down on France. If you're French, I'm really sorry. I'm not Croatian, but today we're enemies just because I'm going to take Croatia. so, um, thanks for being here. Uh, I'm Jason. If you don't know who I am, I don't, it's not a surprise. I'm not surprised you don't know me. I'm nobody. Um, I'm just a guy that Tommy asked to, uh, to speak for him today. Um, so, I'm sorry you get me today. Tommy's not here. Surprise. Um, so, uh, if you gave up the World Cup because you're like, you know what, I want to hear what Tommy has to say today. Hi. Uh, it me. So, um, you, get, you get me instead. Let me get this all set up here. Make sure I know what I'm doing. Okay, great. There we go. Um, so, before we, uh, before we jump into it, let's say a quick word of prayer um, as we get into this. Father, thank you today. Uh, thank you for today. Thank you for um, being a God who understands our troubles and our, our <clears throat> uh, the trials that we face. And... Um, a God that walks along with us in all of those. And as we look into this passage today, God, please open our minds and our hearts to what you have to say to us here today. And uh, may we be better for it. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, um, I wanted to make this joke in the first service, so it, was, so it won't make as much sense to you, but I'm going to do it now. Because Travis, in the first service, talking about what Tommy's going to be doing that session on hell, and at the end of it, he said, it's going to be a great time, so you should come. And my immediate thought was, really? Hell? Talking about hell is going to be a great time? That's a weird thing to say. Um, and then I just kind of got lost in that for a few minutes after he said it, of like the promotion of a conversation about hell, that how fun that will be. 
<laughs> it's like, that's so weird. So, um, but you should totally go to that because it probably will be fun uh, on some level. So, um, uh, James chapter 1. I love the book of James because James is a very uh, practical book. James is fascinating because I'm, I, I get real lost in some weird details on uh, books of the Bible. One of which is like how they introduce themselves into at the beginning of these letters. So, you know, it, it, to start out with, this letter is from James, a slave of God. He's giving kind of his, um, you know, credentials, if you will, of like why I'm writing to you, why you should listen to what I have to say. This is who I am. Um, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. And he's real excited about that greetings, apparently, because he's got an exclamation point. Greetings to all of you. Now, I get lost in this because my thing is none of us actually talk to each other that way, right? None of us introduce ourselves or like we know each other and go, hey, I'm Jason. I, uh, I'm a slave of God and like, you know, whatever it is, give our credentials and we give our resume and then go, greetings to you today. Let's have a chat. Like nobody does that. We just go right into our chat, right? But there's a reason that they structure things a certain way. They're giving these credits. They want them to understand, like, I'm writing to a specific group of people. Because I'm addressing some things that you are facing, some things that you are going through. And what's great about James is that almost everything that he talks about throughout this, this letter is so applicable centuries later to our modern day lives. Because what he goes through a couple chapters later is where you hear the the, the age-old verse of faith without works is dead. He gets really practical about faith. In Christianity, we talk about faith a lot. We use that word a lot that, you know, we'll introduce ourselves as a person of faith. Um, I have a faith. I have faith in God. And we use this word faith in so many interchangeably, interchangeable ways. And I think sometimes it loses our, its meaning for us. Because faith is not just this ethereal, celestial thing that we talk about. Faith is a very practical, pragmatic thing as well. And James is the book that kind of breaks that down. The next chapter, James talks about injustice and discrimination going on uh, in, uh, to the people and around the people that he's addressing. And he's saying to them, listen, you can't have faith but also treat people this way. You can't give favor to this group of people but also say you have faith. And then a few verses later, faith without works is dead. And what he's building a case for is the fact that faith is more than just something we talk about. That it's more than just, yes, I have faith in Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, that they understood at that time. What he was trying to address to them is that that faith looks like something in an action-oriented way every day. And he start. I think it's no mistake, he starts right out with the number one way that faith looks very real is how you respond to trials and troubles in your life. Now, this passage here, in in this particular version, I'm going to read through it again together with you uh, because I want to break it apart a little bit for you. It says, starting in verse 2, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Pause. Does anyone actually do that? When your life falls apart, does anyone go, you know what? I'm going to call up my party list. It's time to have a party. My life is falling apart. 
Celebration time. Let's go. You know why we're celebrating, guys? Because I get to grow. I get to be a better man in a couple days or years, however long this, this takes. Uh, I get to be better, right? Like, I, no one does that. No one in their right mind celebrates when something wrong happens to them. But that's what he says. He comes right out with, it's an opportunity for joy for you to celebrate. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. Get out of the way. Let it happen. Don't try to stop it. Don't try to stifle it. Let it happen. Let that process happen. Now, every time I read that particular phrase, the only thing I can think of, and I've never seen this movie, but I know this phrase, let it go. And you're welcome for getting that stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Like every time I just see James like writing, so let it grow. And he starts singing, you know, and like, as he's, anyway, um, If you have kids, maybe you know what I'm talking about. I don't know. Uh, So let it grow. For when your endurance has fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, the message translation, I want to I read this in a, in a different um, version because I think the way it breaks it down makes it a little more um, pliable in this. So what it says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come from you at all sides. Now, first of all, no one is excited about a test, Right? I hated school. Clearly, I wasn't good at it. Look at me. Listen to me. Clearly, I wasn't great at school, right? Education was not my thing. Tests, I hated them, especially algebra tests. I'm going to get on a tangent here for a second. I don't know why we get numbers from letters. I don't understand how you add letters together and get numbers. I don't know. They gave me a test. I didn't know what I was doing. Barely passed math. No one gets excited. I do not get excited about, it's a gift. You're giving me a test? That's my Christmas gift? You're the best friend ever. (laughs) That's what I've always wanted. This is what he says. Consider it a gift. The test and challenges come at you from all sides because you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. What a fascinating way of looking at life. Because what he's saying there is, listen, when these things happen to you, when a trial comes your way, something happens to you, life falls apart for you. That is an opportunity for you and your faith to become very, very real. Because faith is not just something we talk about. Faith is something we have to live at some point. Faith takes endurance. He used that term endurance in there. And I don't think it's a mistake. Because when I think of the word endurance, well, let me ask you this. When you think of the word endurance, what comes to mind? Running? I heard running. Anything else? You can talk in church. It's totally fine. (laughs) Jesus is okay with it. You can answer Running? Anybody have anything other than running? Running is what I think of, right? Endurance. Running. I hate running. (laughs) Running to me is the worst idea. Does anybody run 5Ks, marathons, anything like that? Let me see your hands. Anybody? Did someone just woo for that? (laughs) Here's the thing. I let me tell you my theory. I don't think anyone actually loves running. I think it's all a lie. I think it's all this collective human peer pressure 
and no one wants to admit this is the worst thing on the planet. (laughs) But that guy said it's important and I don't want to look like I'm not doing the thing that's important and healthy, so I'm going to run. I mean, think about it. Have you ever seen a happy runner? They're not smiling. I've got some pictures to prove it. So let me show you. Like, <laughs> look at this guy. Look at this guy. You know that's exactly his thing. Run a marathon. They said it would be fun. It'll be fun, they said. Like, my picture of a marathon runner is exactly that person right there in whatever race and gender. But that facial expression, that's what I think of when it comes to running. Like, running... Listen, if you see me running and there is not a sports ball of some kind, either in my hands or at my feet, just start running. Don't even ask. Just start running. Because it's either because I'm running from something really bad that's coming or I'm running to something really, really great that you should also be a part of. Either way, it's a win for you. You don't die or you get a prize at the end. But wait, that's what marathons are. You get a prize at the end, this medal that you'll throw away in a few years. Um, Anyway, so let me just, here, look, here's another thing. Think about this, marathons, because only humans want to run the distance of a man that died doing it first. (laughs) And that's historic. You know the first person who ran a marathon died at the end of it, right? Everybody know that story? It's history. Okay, believe it, because I told you. Um, Listen, and we run our dogs, right? Like, we, oh, our dogs need to run. Let's go, let's go let, our, let our dogs run. Dogs don't even like it. Look at this. <laughs> Nothing about those dogs' faces say, I'm so glad my human brought me here. Those faces are going, how can I kill my human when we get home? This is not, this isn't fun. Now, this next picture has absolutely nothing to do with with the point of my sermon today, but I'm going to show it to you because I think it's funny. Also, because I've played out an idea in my head of what happened post this photo, and I'd like to explain it to you. So, it's kind of cut off what it it says, so before I tell you, I'll explain it. Um, This guy was really proud of his wife for running her first marathon. So he posted a series of photos about his wife celebrating her for running her first, uh, sorry, 5K, not even a marathon. Come on, 5K. Um, Anyway, amateurs, uh, running her first 5K. But in my head, what happened after this was that she divorced him uh, solely based on the mistake he made about this photo because... He got the most unflattering picture of his wife. She looks like she wants to die. I've never seen a runner smiling while running. Like, it seems terrible, right? Those of you that love marathons and running, maybe later you can tell me why you love it. I won't believe you, but you can tell me. Um, Because running is 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 a weird thing to me, but it's so fascinating at the same time. One of the things I find fascinating about marathons is that people will go and watch marathons that are not running and don't care to run, many of them. I just want to go watch a 
a marathon and watch people run and go, man, you guys are crazy. Why would you do this to yourself? I'm going to stand here and drink my coffee. Um, But it's a weird, interesting, collective thing about endurance. It's this idea of I can accomplish that thing and I get, I understand the goals and all of that kind of stuff. One thing that I have learned about running that I think really applies with that word endurance is that most runners would tell you that at some point during that race, they hit a wall. There's a mile. Some people say it's mile eight on a 5K. Some people say it's mile 18 on a marathon. I forgot how long marathons are, I think, for a second. But there's always a wall that you hit, and your body and mind starts telling you that you cannot do it. You can't go any farther. You're not going to make it. you got to stop. You're going to die. You feel like you want to die, so just give it up. Just die. Go ahead and do that. And at that point, it's a mental game. Do I break through this wall? I can do it. I can finish. I can get there. And I think that term of endurance about our faith is the same thing. We make faith so often about this thing that we just talk about. But then we hit a wall. We have a crisis of our faith. Someone does us wrong. The world falls apart around us. And in that moment, the faith that we talk about becomes very real. Because in that moment, it's a mental game. Do I truly believe in the God that is bigger than the problem that has just come to me? Because the reality is, however we respond, however we react to that problem, that trouble, that trial, that test that has come to us, in and of itself, is an act of faith. Now, either that act of faith is we put our faith in the problem and we put our faith in the person that created that problem, the consequences that come from that problem. Sometimes we put our faith in ourselves to vindicate that problem. Or our faith becomes real and we put our faith in the God that is bigger than that problem. And that is a choice. That is a choice that we make. I've had multiple times in my life where I've had crises of faith. One of the most recent was a couple years ago. Uh, one of my best friends, kind of like a, kind of like a, uh, a brother to me, a um, 44-year-old guy suddenly, uh, not suddenly, but over a six-month period, uh, died of cancer. Uh, completely incurable, just out of the blue. And he was one of the best people that I've ever known in my life. And I remember having a moment during that, knowing that he was going to die, and having a conversation with God and just saying, God, this is why people don't like you. Because you let this kind of thing happen. The person that should live and that should, that can make the world better, you let them die, but then you let all the people we consider to be terrible live and get away with things. And I had to recognize for myself in that moment that 
I was putting my faith in the problem, not truly in God, because what I was doing was blaming him. I was having a pity party. I was having a party. I was having a celebration, but not an endurance celebration, not a celebration of joy. I was having a celebration of sorrow in that moment. Now, don't get me wrong. Anger and sorrow and the emotion that comes along with those trials and those things that befall us, those emotions are very real and important to process through. I'm not saying don't have an emotional reaction and be a robot. But what I think this passage is teaching us is that in all of that, as we process out, we have to make a choice that we are going to push through that wall and make our faith real. Because the world around us needs to see that. The world around us does not need to see another person trying to vindicate what has been done wrong to them. If you think about it, one of the great tenets of our faith is forgiveness, right? We talk about forgiveness a lot. Yeah, all right. I don't know what that was, but it sounded like they were cheering me on. So I'm going to keep going. Um, Forgiveness is one of the great tenets of our faith, right? And we talk about forgiveness, and we have to forgive, and we need to forgive, and all this kind of stuff. But forgiveness is a choice that we have to make. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 4, this is what it says. Be careful what you think, because your thoughts run your life. I don't think that's a mistake of a verse. I think it's a very real, true thing about our faith. Because the thing that we think about most often begins to push us in a certain way in how we act. So, for example, in criminal psychology, there is an ideal uh, profile of criminals and, like, mass murderers and all these things. There's a, there's a profile known as a grievance collector, also called a wound collector. Now, the very extreme of that is they are trying to profile out how this person got from being this, you know, regular human being growing up to being the person that went into a school and shot it up or where, whatever they did. To profile that, they've recognized a personality trait with them known as a grievance collector. And what they will track back is that they will leave some kind of manifesto of some kind of all the grievances, the things that were done wrong to them, maybe the things that, that they feel like are injustices in society. In fact, the definition of this Um, is this. Wound collecting is the conscious and systematic collection and preservation of transgressions, violations, social wrongs, grievances, injustice, unfair treatment, or slights of self and others for the purpose of nourishing, fortifying, or justifying a malignant ideology, furthering hatred, satisfying a pathology, or for exacting revenge. Now, the extreme of that is the person that goes and commits an egregious crime. But I think the principle of it for us and our purposes is there. That so often we become grievance collectors. We become wound collectors in our own life. And when we start doing that and we start talking about that that grievance and that wound in an unhealthy way, that we're not working through it, but we're just lamenting it constantly and we're obsessing about it, that begins to direct our actual faith. Where the, where the passage said our faith life comes out in the open, 
the lights are shining on us, now our faith becomes what our faith really is, is now being shown. Our faith is in the problem, and that party is in, woe is me, why, God, did you do this to me? And in that moment, we have to make a choice. What will we think about in that moment? Will I continue to think about the problem and not work through it and not break through that wall? Or will I choose to forgive? Which is crazy, right? You should think about it. Think about all the, the tenets of our faith and how the Bible says for us to live them out. They're kind of crazy. Forgiving, forgiving someone that has done you wrong is a little bit crazy. Because we feel like there's no justice in that. And we want justice. But the fact is, not forgiving hurts us and our faith and our ability to grow and mature. And God's ultimate goal for you and me is not justice. Is not us finding justice in the thing that's been done wrong for us. God's ultimate goal for us is to grow and be better. And to shine a light on his way of life for us. And that is not easy. That is something sometimes we just have to say constantly. I'm always fascinated in, like you see a court trial, something egregious happened in a family that in that courtroom makes their statement. And they state to the person that wronged them that murdered their child or whatever, and they verbally say to them, we forgive you. First of all, it's heart-wrenching. It breaks my heart. But at the same time, I'm fascinated because there's a part of me that goes, I don't think they actually believe it. But they're saying it, and they're choosing to make it reality because they're saying it. And I think our faith is much like that. We talk about it. Yeah, I have faith. But then how do we respond when something wrong comes our way? Faith becomes real in that moment. And I think what James is challenging us to is that when those troubles come our way, that is an opportunity for you to be better and stronger so that down the road you can also help someone else walk through that. I always think about the marathons and the people standing on the sidelines watching these people run. And they have seemingly no connection to the people running. But they're there encouraging people along. Challenging them, you can do it, you can move past it, you can get there, you can finish. They've got cups of water. I don't know if those people are official or not. I always, I'm always hoping for a scenario like in Seinfeld where they grab the wrong cup and it's a cup of coffee and they throw it on their face and it's, ah! Like, I just want to see that happen, just... I think it would be funny <laughs> just because I'm not the one running so it's not happening to me so it's hilarious um, which is terrible um, but what I find fascinating about that is that these people are they're encouraging them along they're there for support and they're pushing them like you can do it you can finish you can make that goal you can push through that wall when you see them falling apart 
And I think there's something beautiful in that because if you transfer that to humanity in our context of being in church, being in a home group or coming here, that there's a beauty in the recognition of other people being able to say to you, you can do it. You can keep moving. You can endure. Let's celebrate that together. None of this was meant to be done alone. None of it was meant for us to try to process alone. In the context of the grievance collector, that was part of the problem, is that they isolated themselves and they would obsess about the thing that was done wrong to them rather than opening themselves up to people that could help them grow past it and move past it and move on. And it doesn't mean that wrongdoing that's done to you, it doesn't mean that you're going to be best friends necessarily with that person. I don't think that's what God's looking for either. And I don't think that God is like, yeah, you can just dismiss all of those things like it never happened. The recognition of it is important, but also releasing yourself from that obsession so that you can move past and grow and process that anger and those emotions and all of those things properly so that you can be better. So that one day when you're on the sidelines and you see the person running the marathon and they hit that same wall that you had to endure, that you can run alongside them and say, I know, I understand, you can make it, we can be better. Keep going. I'm here to go with you. That's what true faith looks like on a very real level. A chapter later when he says faith without works is dead, that's part of it. The works of, and I know we get all tripped up on like, well, does that mean like it's not just about faith and getting to heaven and I have to do all these works? I think that's the wrong argument about what James chapter two is about. I think the argument is that when you make a choice, to forgive, that faith becomes real. That's when faith is fully alive. When your belief and your actions are aligned together, that's when faith becomes true and real and the world becomes better because of it. That's the challenge for you today. Wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling through, let me challenge you to make the choice to endure. Have an endurance party if you need to. Get your home, your house church, whatever. Get your people together and go, listen, I'm struggling. This thing was done wrong to me. I'm hurting. My life is falling apart. I lost this person that I love. And I need to break through. And I need your help. That's the beauty of Christianity. So that's what we're here for. That's why the church exists. It's not, all, it's not for all of this so that we just show up and sing some songs, go home and go about our life. It's so that we have that collective. I believe it's a collective peer pressure that people love running, whatever. But it truly is a collective of people that we are all on this journey of faith together. We're all running this marathon of faith. It's not a sprint. It's not who can get there the fastest and have the best faith get our faith card and medal and carry that around. It's all, we're on this marathon together, working out this faith that we talk about. And part of that is making a choice, is not just talking about it, but saying, yes, I will forgive. I will show kindness, whatever it is. I will love this person that doesn't, I think doesn't deserve love, but I'm gonna show it to them anyway because that's what my faith dictates and I'm going to flesh that out and make it real in this moment. 
If we did that, imagine what the world would look like on a very base level of our humanity and how we treat people and how we love. I think that's what God is challenging us to. So my challenge for you today is don't just talk about faith on that intrinsic level, but make it just like promises. You think about when you make a promise to somebody. My dad used to tell me growing up, don't ever make a promise that you know you can't keep. But I do a lot of weddings. I'm always fascinated by people's vows. You ever listen to people's vows at a wedding you go to? One of the things that always throw me, almost every, almost every wedding has this, some variation of this part. I promise to love you more and more every day. And every time, I'm like, don't, don't say that. <laughs> you can't keep that promise? I'm not even married, and I know in about three days, you're going to be like, what did I, who, why? Why did I do this? All right, I love you. I love you. I'm going to stay in this. Like, at some point, everyone gets tired of someone that they're around a lot, and they need a break, right? But not like, you know, we're going to get divorced. I don't mean that kind of break. But, like, I have to choose to stay in this thing. But that idea of, like, I promise to do this, that's not a promise you can keep. Promise that you will do your best to choose to love them more every day and try to love them better every day. But that promise really doesn't mean anything until you have to live it out, right? Until, yeah, I promise I will be there to pick you up. But then you don't show up. It didn't matter that you said it. What mattered is did you do it, the action, right? That's when the promise becomes real because you showed up. What James is telling us here is don't just say that you have faith. My friends that are experiencing these troubles, don't just say that you have faith. Push through on that that trouble. Celebrate it. Process it. If it's forgiveness, forgive. If it's um, being kind to someone, if whatever it is, if it's overcoming that sorrow, but not looking at God and saying, why? Why me? Why did this happen? turning it and saying, God, I'm putting my faith in you, so what now? Not why. What now? I hit the wall. What do I do now? What's the next right step for me to take for my faith to grow and to become mature? Communion host, you can get in place. There's something beautiful about communion because I think it's points for us of reminders of why we began this faith journey to begin with. Because we're professing that, yes, we believe in a God that's bigger, that is bigger than this world, bigger than our troubles, that loves us unconditionally, and I am reaffirming that with this communion because he, he made a way possible for me to be better. And as we celebrate that today, I want you to take a few minutes to do some business with God. And whatever you're struggling through, maybe instead of saying why and collecting those wounds and nourishing those wounds or feeding those wounds, maybe ask God, what now? What's the next step for me, God, to grow in my faith and to be better and to let this go, to forgive, to move on, to show my faith in a very real way? way. 
The song that's going to play, the words are going to uh, go along with this a little bit. So pay attention to those words and take a few minutes to pray and center in on that truth that God has for you today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, for your truth, the nuances, the depth, all of, uh, all of this with um, regards to your truth about our lives. It may it be more than something we just talk about and show up and go through emotions, but may we make it very real and true because we've chosen to think on the right things that directs our life in the right way. God, you know better than any of us in this room what every person sitting in these seats are going through, what they've gone through, what they're struggling with, what their hurt is, what their pain is, what their loss is. And I ask that you would show them a real, practical way out of that darkness. That you would help them process and move on and grow in their faith. And may we all be better in showing the world around us what true faith really looks like. In Jesus' name, amen.